Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am intended to cover in this audio John chapter 18 verses 12 through 27. We, the context of these verses is this. Jesus has just been betrayed by Judas, arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane by the temple police, and abandoned by his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is Good Friday morning, early in the morning, it's still dark, and he is now being taken to first to the house of Annas, the former high priest, and then to Caiaphas, the current high priest. Now, there are some chronological difficulties in this passage. This is how I'm going to tackle this. I'm going to take the first few verses, verses 15, verses 12, 13, and 14, to give us the introduction to the story how Jesus was taken to Annas' house. I'm going to assume that nothing is recorded of the visit to Annas' house, but that he is immediately sent to Caiaphas' house where his interrogation happens. Now, the reason I do that is because, well, it's complicated, and I'll get into it as I get into the story, but some people say that that verse that uh, most of this passage here, all except verses 15 through 18, but the rest of the passage, 12, 13, and 14, and then from 19 to 24, refers to the interrog- an interrogation at Annas' house where Jesus was first taken place. There are problems with that view, and I'm going to take the view that all of this refers to Jesus's interrogation before Caiaphas's house, not Annas's house, and that John says nothing about any interrogation at Annas's house. This is Alfred Edesheim's view. This is the view I'm going to take. Then, after we take the description, after we go over what happens at Caiaphas's house, some of what happens, which is mainly Peter's first denial, we're going to go back into John. Peter's first denial takes place in verses 15 through 18 and verses 25, 26, and 27, which covers a good bit of the passage before us. I've already done something on Peter's first denial in, in the synoptics. These, this is covered in the synoptics, and I'm going to splice that audio in to take care of that. When I say Peter's first denial, I actually meant to say all three, all three of his denials. That will then leave us with verses... 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24, which, if they refer to the trial before Caiaphas's house and not Annas's house, and that's the way I'm taking it, this, these details of the trial before Caiaphas are not covered in the Synoptic Gospels, and therefore we need to go through them in, here in the book of John. So this is somewhat complicated, so let's get started. We'll start with verse 12 and 13 in John chapter 18. Then the company of soldiers, the commander and the Jewish temple police, arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. First of all, let me point out that verses 12, 13, and later 14, which we'll get to in a minute, do not have parallel passages. We're alone here in the book of John. The soldiers and the commanders, the commander, are the Roman soldiers with the Roman commander. That's the Roman cohort. This is according to Ellicott. The commentator Ellicott, these are the people that just came, and the Jewish temple police, of course, who weren't Romans but Jewish, in charge of the, probably Levites in charge of policing the temple, sent all of these people sent by the high priest to arrest Jesus. They had just arrested him at Gethsemane. They arrested him and tied him up. Why did they tie him up? The NIV Study Bible says that was standard procedure. Or it could be, as John Gill speculates, that Jesus had escaped the Jews several times before and they were taking no chances. I, I recall once, for example, I think it's in John 11, during the Jesus' last visit during the Feast of Tabernacles, he got them all riled up and then he 
sneaked out through the crowd. He did that several times. I don't have the sights in front of him, but he he was constantly escaping the Jews, and so maybe they said, no, this time he's not going to get away from us. The Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown said, yeah, they let him tie it. Jesus let the officers tie him up, but not until he had made them feel that no man took his life from him, but that he laid it down. And it's interesting through the whole previous discussion or description of the arrest at Gethsemane, it seems like the arresting people were a little bit on the defensive. After all, remember, Jesus stood and they all fell backwards one time. <laughs> they didn't act like they were especially brutal or authoritative as they arrested Jesus. Jesus laid his own life down. He could have called down a legion of angels to stop it if he had wanted to. All right, let's talk about this thing about the problem of Annas and Caiaphas. They were both high priests. Annas was the older, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the younger, the son-in-law of Caiaphas. The younger one was the legal priest at the time of the arrest. Annas had already been deposed in 15 AD. We're now about 30 AD. He'd been deposed by the Romans. He was still called high priest, the same way we call President Carter and President Clinton and other ex-presidents. We call them by their by we give them the official title, even though they they legally are not president anymore. We read of Annas and Caiaphas being high priest in Luke 3, verse 2. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness, John the Baptist. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, that shows that the people generally considered Annas de facto, if not de jure, a high priest. Now, let's look at... Well, before we do that, let's uh, talk about Caiaphas, because John mentions Caiaphas in verse 14. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was advantageous that one should die for the people. This is in John 11, verses 49 through 50, when Jesus was down there in Jerusalem during the last part of his ministry. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. He's talking to his fellow Jewish leaders. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. And that passage goes on to say that Caiaphas then became sort of a prophet because that's what happened. Jesus died for the whole nation. If anybody believed in him, they could be saved and go to heaven and, and live forever and have eternal life. Caiaphas was thinking about, no, you need to kill him so that the Romans won't come out and wipe out your nation. Now, why did John even bring this up? This is just an incidental detail. There was probably a reason for it. He's probably trying to show that Jesus was in a kangaroo court, that Caiaphas was anything but a disinterested, unbiased, blind judge, but he was rather a persecutor, someone who was intent on killing Jesus, and he was going to bend every legal procedure. Reminds me of some people in Congress right now as we talk about impeachment, impeachment. You know, the heck with the law, let's just get him. And this is what, this is what, why probably John mentioned this little detail about Caiaphas to show his bias and his animus toward Jesus. All right, now in John, John takes us to verses 15 through 18, the denial of Peter. We're going to assume this is taken up in the synoptics, and I'm going to assume that the synoptics are talking about the same incident here before Caiaphas, not Annas. And John also picks up on the story of Peter's denials of Jesus in verses 25 through 27. So we're going to be a little bit out of order here just to get the whole story in. I'm going to splice in my discussion of Mark 14 verses 54, 66 through 72, and that splice begins now. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am in Mark chapter 14. We're going to finish up the chapter today. We're going to talk about Peter's thrice denial of his Lord in Caiaphas's courtyard on Good Friday morning, early in the morning in the middle of the night, while Jesus was being interrogated. 
Mark is a very abbreviated version of the events. The events are recorded in four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I'm going to have to hop back and forth between the Gospels to get a continuous narrative of this. And Mark it's, has some interesting extra details, even though it's he has a short, a relatively short narrative. So we'll start out in John chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, and we read this. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was following Jesus. Following Jesus after Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, all the disciples fled. Peter circled back around and started following Jesus. Mark and Matthew in the parallel passages say that Peter followed afar off. He was scared of getting caught. Simon Peter was following Jesus, John tells us in chapter 18, as was another disciple. And that other disciple is probably John, who was writing this book, and out of modesty, he didn't mention his name. I'm going to assume it was John. So Simon Peter and John are following the arrest party to see what's going to happen to Jesus. That disciple, John, was an acquaintance of the high priest. So he went with Jesus into the high priest courtyard. And this is not Annas. Now, this, according to Robertson, this is not Annas. This is Caiaphas. There were two high priests, the former high priest Annas and the current high priest Caiaphas. This is Caiaphas' house and, his, and the courtyard at his house. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, i.e. John, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. So John, because he knew the high priest and was known to the doorkeeper, she said, okay, I know who you are. I'm going to let you in. You might say, well, why did she not say, hey, you're one of Jesus' disciples. Why didn't she think on John? Well, because John was privileged because he knew he was known by the high priest. She probably figured he had some authority. I'm not going to mess with him. She let him in and she she let Peter in because Peter was with John. Now, let's give a description of this courtyard, which I thought was pretty well described by Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. Quote, the street door, or a heavy folding gate through which single persons entered by a wicket kept by the porter, opened by a passage or porch into a quadrangle court. So what Mark calls a porch is really just a covered passageway going through the, through the one-person gate, through that covered passageway into a quadrangular court, here called the palace or hall, which was open above. So then you walk through that covered walkway and you got to an open port, which is frequently fl- paved with flagstones. In the center of this court, the fire would be kindled in a brazier. That's where Peter and the soldiers stood, and the temple police stood to keep warm. At the upper end of the court, probably, was the chamber in which the trial was held. That's where Jesus would be. Open to the court and not far from the fire, according to Luke 22, verse 61, but on a higher level, for Mark says the court was beneath it. So probably you could look up, maybe through a window, and see where Jesus was being tried. The ascent to the room where Jesus was was perhaps by a short flight of steps. So Peter gets in with who I said was John. Now, the NIV study Bible doesn't say it was certainly John. They say it was perhaps John. And the arguments in favor of it being John was that, as John Gill says, is that John frequently talks of himself without mentioning his name. The disciple who leaned on Jesus' breast, you recall he said that? Peter and John frequently hung around together. Peter, James, and John, they were often together. So it's it's reasonable to think this is John. Now, some people object. How could a Galilean fisherman know the high priest? John Gill mentions this objection, and he answers it by saying, well, he knew the high priest because he sold fish to the high priest's house. 
which I thought was an interesting solution to the problem. I don't know when John was down there in Jerusalem, unless he was with Jesus during the Judean ministry. But I can imagine in that time they didn't have cell phones that could take pictures of people that you could be a disciple of Jesus and not be known as exactly who you were. But at any rate, I'm going to assume this is John. He knew the high priest. So let's go now to John 18, verses 17 through 18. Then the slave girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, You aren't one of his of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. First denial. I am not, he, Peter said. Now the slaves and the temple police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. When it says slaves, that's the servants of the high priest, the household servants. And then, of course, the temple police who were under Caiaphas. The Roman guards had probably been dismissed by now. They had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. Remember, this is an early spring, Passover time. And that can be kind of chilly at night. They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them warming himself. He was with them because he would have looked suspicious standing off. So he was standing there, not to mention the fact he might have been cold and would like to get next to the fire. Now, all four Gospels record that Peter's first challenge, the first person that ratted Peter out, I'm going to call Peter the first fink. The first fink that ratted Peter out was this slave girl. Now, the NIV study Bible the says that she was the most unimportant person imaginable and i and i point and i elaborate on that by saying as far as her age she was probably young she of course was a woman she was a young girl probably she was a slave and so people point out to peter's detriment hey peter you denied jesus to a slave girl wow that really shows some courage right after you just a few hours before the last supper said you were going to follow jesus to the death Go to prison with him. Do whatever is necessary. And here you are denying him to a slave girl. Now, I will point out to you, however, that slave girl could have told somebody with power. She could. But, of course, slave girls might have been in the habit of never talking to her bosses about important stuff. So, at any rate, John Gill speculates that he could have said, yeah, I was one of his followers. And Peter could have still gotten away because nothing would have happened. She wouldn't have been able to get people to believe her and go chase him. He would have been long gone by the time the the people started chasing him. Of course, the temple police were standing right there around the fire, but they would have to believe her first, and he probably could have gotten away. But he didn't. He denied. He denied Jesus. Some people have questioned how this slave girl, excuse me, how John was able to get the slave girl in. Excuse me, how John was able to get Peter in past the slave girl, and that's no problem to me. Peter could have, John could have just said, hey, slave girl doorkeeper this is peter my friend and she let him in because she knew who john was john was known to the household now in the gospel accounts some of the gospel accounts especially mark the denials follow one two three one on top of another real quickly and it makes it seem like they happened uh, together all at once but probably there were intervals between the denials where other things happened that makes more sense actually niv study bible says that It's obvious that Peter was not expecting such a question from the slave girl. He answered the question quickly and rashly without even thinking. And he told, of course, a bald-faced lie. He did know Jesus. He has shown so much courage before, but now he wilted before a slave girl. He, He had not only told Jesus a few hours before that he would never deny Jesus at the Last Supper, he had also, in Gethsemane, struck one of the high priest soldiers, or servants, Malchus, on the head with a sword. And it's interesting that uh, one of Malchus's kinsmen and the temple police who had arrested Jesus, the same temple police that Peter had brandished a sword at in the dark at Gethsemane, 
He's standing with him around the fire. I bet he was being quiet. I bet he was nervous. They probably didn't, I'm sure they didn't recognize him because it was dark when he was up there in Gethsemane swinging his sword. But still, just the thought of it would make my blood curdle, but Peter was standing there. So I guess in one sense he was brave to stand amidst the people who had just finished, that he had just finished swinging, swinging a sword at. But on the other hand, he was not courageous enough to confess Jesus before that slave girl. Now, I said Peter was brave to stand there with those temple police around that fire, but he really had to be there with them, according to the NIV Study Bible. On a cold night, he would have been he would have been very conspicuous standing away from the fire. Maybe he was just so curious, really curious of what was going to happen, that he had to stand by the fire and take the risk. But at any rate, it makes sense that he was standing there, not to mention the fact he was probably cold, too. Now, the question arises, why did that slave girl question Peter and, and say, you were one of his disciples, too? Why would she think that Peter was a disciple just by looking at him? Well, she might, well, she did know, we're going to say in a minute, the, there's one word in this passage that tips us off that the girl knew that John was a disciple. So John knew that John was the slave girl, the doorkeeper slave girl knew that John was a disciple. And since Peter was with John, it was a logical inference that Peter was a, a disciple too, just like John. So that's why she confronted him. Also, Peter was standing alone after John got him in. I don't know why, but Peter's not standing with John. Peter was standing alone, and that looked suspicious. All the other temple police standing there, jovially, convivially chatting away, and Peter's just standing there alone, like a, sticking out like a sore thumb. Could be his dress was poor, like a fisherman. Maybe that tipped her off. Maybe his Galilean speech. I don't know. But for some reason, she challenged him. Now, John Gill's got an interesting theory here. He said she might not have been challenging challenging Peter. She may have just been commiserating with him. For example, in verse 17, she says, you aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? Oh, I'm so sorry your master got arrested. I hope you're okay. <laughs> I tell you, John Gill's got the greatest imagination of anybody I ever saw. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe she was challenging Peter, but I just thought I'd mention that because it is a possibility, even though it's a quite unlikely possibility, I think. Now, how do we know that the slave girl, the doorkeeper, knew that John was a disciple of Jesus? It's because of this little word, too, in verse 17, John chapter 18. Then the slave girl, who was the doorkeeper, said to Peter, You aren't one of this man's disciples, too, are you? You aren't one of this man's disciples, also, are you, is what she means. What does the two mean? She's obviously referring to another disciple. And who could that disciple be? The only disciple that was there was John. So she must have known that John was the disciple. I think that logic is pretty tight. I mean, maybe people disagree with it, but I think she knew. Well, if she knew that John was the disciple, the next question is, well, then why didn't she challenge John? Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown say she didn't challenge him because John was privileged. He knew the high priest. And since he knew the high priest, she let him in, figured, I'm not going to mess with John because John knows people with authority. Jameson Foster and Brown agrees with what I just said. He says that she knew that John was a disciple. All right, now we are going to switch gears, and we're going to go now to Luke chapter 22, verse 55. I will read Luke 22, 55, 56, and 57. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. Those are the temple police and the servants. When a servant saw him sitting in the firelight and looked closely at him, she said, this man was with him too. Now, this servant is the same doorkeeper, the doorkeeper servant, 
Holman Christian Study Bible translates the word as servant as slave. Verse 57, but he, Peter, denied it. Woman, I don't know him. So that's the first denial. Now, I'm going to mention all of these denials. The harmonization problem between these four Gospels is pretty bodaciously difficult. One commentator I read said it was impossible to harmonize. I don't believe that. I'm going to give it my best shot. And, of course, I could be wrong. I'm not a Ph.D. in New Testament. I'm not a biblical scholar. But I think I can reconcile it fairly reasonably here. This first denial here is after the first fink, I call him, the first person to fink out Peter, confronted him. And as we see from John, that was the doorkeeper. So I'm going to assume this woman here is the doorkeeper. And Peter says, woman, I don't know him. Verse 58. After a little while, well, we're not going to go to verse 58. That's the second denial. We'll stop here at 57. So in Luke, we see that the first denier, the first of faith, the first person who challenged Jesus is called a servant, but it must be the doorkeeper's servant. One minor point we can pick up here from Luke chapter 22, verse 56. The woman did not make her charge directly to Peter, in this instance, the doorkeeper's slave. She said, this man also was with him, which sounds like she is not only not only confronted Peter directly, she also mentioned it to the people standing around, too. So this might have been a different time than, than her direct challenge to Peter. Now we can turn to Matthew 26, verses 69 and 70, which I will read now. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant approached him, and she said, You were with the Galilean, too. This is the same doorkeeper, slave, servant. Verse 70, But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. John Gill says that Peter was about to give Jesus more pain than the beating, slapping, and spitting that Jesus had to undergo that night. Peter denied his Lord. Of course, Jesus is going to catch him in the eyes. We'll see as we go on with this story. (laughs) <laughs> when Peter denies him the third time. So it was, it was terrible what Jesus had to go through. Now, notice that the slave girl calls Peter this Galilean. This is in verse 69 of Matthew 26. This was probably by way of reproach, John Gill says, as in the Messiah can't come from Galilee, so why is he claiming so? You know, people didn't believe that the Messiah could come from Galilee because the Messiah was the Lion of Judah. And in Micah, that famous prophecy in Micah, the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. So so it could be she's making fun of Peter as a Galilean. She says, you were with him, weren't you? This man was with him. Well, when? She could be just referring in general. It couldn't be the Garden of Gethsemane because she wouldn't have seen that. She might have seen him in the temple or in Jerusalem as Peter went around with Jesus as they were ministering. But at any rate, she's claiming Peter as a disciple and is coming as a spy. That, of course, would be dangerous to Peter if the war, if the soldiers started believing it and if they spread the word of the high priest inside the house it could have become a dangerous situation now Adam Clark said this would have been a great opportunity for Peter to witness about his lord but instead Peter denied him by the way i mentioned that in Luke she meant she's she made the accusation to the bystanders this man this man was with him too but here in Matthew she directly says you were with him weren't you Peter and that's not a contradiction. She could have made the remarks to the bystanders first and then to Peter in the course of the confrontation there. That's not a problem. Now let's turn to Mark 14, and we'll read verses 66, 67, and 68. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's servants came. Now this is the same uh, girl slave, the doorkeeper. 
She came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus. But he, Peter, denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the courtyard and a rooster crowed. Now, this is a detail that Mark only has. He has two roosters crowing. Matthew, Luke, and John omit the first rooster and only mention the second rooster. I only have one rooster crowing, which is the second rooster. But Peter has a rooster crowing here after the first denial. Now, earlier in when Jesus is at the Lord's Supper and he's telling Peter that that Peter's going to deny him three times, Mark records that Jesus said, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me. Whereas Matthew, Luke, and John only say, when the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. They're both true. There's not hard to reconcile. It's just that Matthew, Luke, and John don't mention this first cock crowing right here after the first denial. And it didn't tip anything off in Peter's head. It, it, it did not remind him of what Jesus had said. Because Jesus said, when the cock crows twice, you will have denied me three times. All right, now let's turn to Peter's second denial. And we'll first look at John chapter 18, verse 25, which reads this way. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. That's the second denial. Who challenged him? It's they. Now this is interesting because this goes to that bodacious harmonization problem I was telling you about. I read one commentator said that it was so hard to harmonize it was impossible. I don't believe that. I, you know, I don't believe it's impossible, but it is difficult, especially for somebody like me who's not an expert. But this is the way I harmonize it. In here in John 18, verse 25, we have the word they challenged Peter. In Matthew 26, 71, we have another maid. That means another maid besides the doorkeeper's maid. And this maid was on the porch. In other words, she's standing in that covered walkway going into the courtyard from the outside gate. So we have another maid challenge, Peter. In Mark 14, we have the maid, which referring back to the doorkeeper maid. And then in Luke 22:58, the person challenged Peter, and Peter answered him, man, so it's another man. So here we have the four Gospels, and every one of them says something different. John says they challenged him. Matthew says another maid. Besides, the doorkeeper challenged him. Mark says the doorkeeper made challenge Peter. And Luke says another man challenged him. How do you reconcile that? Well, this is how I reconcile it. This is the way NIV Study Bible reconciles it. And it's not difficult, really, is that all of these people are standing around the fire. And they all start throwing questions at Peter. Probably because of the first denial when the doorkeeper made it challenged him. And something about the situation aroused their suspicion. So they start saying, all right. Could you be one of his disciples? So who were the people that challenged Peter standing around that fire? First, the doorkeeper maid. She challenged him again. Then another maid picked up the challenge. The porch, I call her the maid on the porch, or the maid in the porch. She challenged him. Then another man challenged him in Luke. Uh, let me start over. In, Ma in uh, Mark, the doorkeeper maid challenged Peter standing around the fire. Peter denied that the second time. Matthew, another maid besides the doorkeeper maid, the maid on the porch, challenged Peter. And in Luke, another man challenged Peter, and John just lumps them all together and said they challenged Peter. That's perfectly reconcilable to me. And of course, Peter denies them all. Now, the interesting question is, is were these people expecting a yes answer? My NIV study Bible says they were expecting a no answer. And I think that's an interesting speculation. So the question would be, you aren't one of his disciples, are you? 
because they couldn't believe that Peter would be standing outside of in Caiaphas's courtyard while Peter's while Jesus is being tried in the room above standing around the temple police who had just tried to arrest the disciples and who had just had and just seen the high priest's ear chopped off by one of those disciples. Could it be that one of those disciples had the sheer unmitigated gall to come here and stand around the fire? What could have tipped them off? Well, if you say they couldn't even imagine him there, well, then why would, he, why would they bother to ask him? Was he possibly a disciple? Well, it could be that Peter's countenance fell when the servant girl, the doorkeeper servant girl, asked him the first time, and he didn't answer it very well. He looked like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of his followers. He might not have given a con- convincing denial. Or maybe it was something in his dress or something in his speech or something that made them think, well, surely this guy, we don't think it's one of his disciples, but could it possibly be that he is? So they're checking him out. Second denial. Let's read the account of the second denial, of Peter's second denial in Mark chapter 14, verses 69 and 70. Verse 69 says this, when the servant saw him again, now Mark says the servant, He's referring back to the first servant who was the doorkeeper servant. When the servant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. So what we deduce from this is that she starts telling everybody, and then they start asking Peter. And the people that are standing around that fire included the porch maid, including another man. And, of course, she chipped in with her two cents worth, too. This man, are you one of them? This man is one of them. But, again, he denied it. This is the second denial. Now let's continue the story of Peter's second denial by turning to Matthew 26, verses 71, 72. And we pick up some interesting details here. Verse 71 in Matthew 26 says this, When he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, This man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again he denied it with an oath, I don't know the man. This is still the second denial, the second accusation was by another woman. That means another woman besides the doorkeeper woman. I call her the porch woman, the woman on the porch we get from another another one of the parallel Gospels. She's on the porch. Mark mentions this woman on the porch. So notice now that Peter has left the fire in the courtyard and walked to that porch toward the gateway, opening to the porch. He's probably getting feeling the heat, and he's probably getting a little nervous. The questions are getting a little little bit... uh, pointed and he's thinking maybe i need to get near the gate so i can get out of here notice his denial is a little bit stronger the second time because this time he denied it with an oath and not only did he deny being jesus disciple he said i don't know the man so he swore that he didn't know jesus so now he's really sinning he's he's denying the lord terribly this is the second denial he's a perjurer now because he he swore a solemn oath i swear i swear well that's a that's perjury so now, in addition to being a simple liar and a traitor, he's now a perjurer. No wonder Peter felt so bad about this when that cock crowed the second time. Now, he might have got himself in trouble by saying he never knew Jesus. I don't think it meant I never, I never knew of him because everybody knew about Jesus. He'd made himself famous by then. But what he means is I didn't know him personally. And then the next question might arise amongst those around the campfire. Well, if you don't know him, what are you doing here? Why do you care? You just... Curious? Could have got himself in trouble. All right, so this is the second denial. Let me repeat this because this can be complicated. The second denial, John says, is they. Matthew says it was another maid beside the doorkeeper maid. That's what I just read. 
Mark said it was the maid, the doorkeeper maid, and Luke said it was another man. So we reconciled that by saying the doorkeeper maid, the porch maid, another unnamed man, all together start peppering Peter with the question. So were you a disciple of Jesus? Peter denies it with an oath. And by the way, I should mention this time, not only do we have to worry about the accusations against Peter in order to harmonize the passages, but also these roosters crowing. Remember, I've already, we've already had a rooster crowing after the first denial. That was in Mark. So let's just summarize this. After the first denial, a rooster crows. After the second denial, where we are now, a rooster does not crow. Not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, there's no rooster crowing. But after the third denial, a rooster crows, and that's when it's going to hit Peter that he's denied Jesus, just like Jesus predicted. Now let's look at, look at Peter's second denial through the eyes of Luke, chapter 22, verse 58. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. That's how we know that other person is a man, because Peter said, man, I am not. So let me summarize it again. This is the second denial. Who challenged Peter on the second denial? John 18:25 said they did. Well, who does the they include? Well, in Mark, it was the maid, the doorkeeper maid. In Matthew, it was another maid, the porch maid. And in Luke, it's this man, whoever he is, another man. They all challenged Peter as Peter heads to the gateway. All right, let's turn to Peter's third denial of Jesus. We'll start in John chapter 18, and we'll, we will read verses 26 and 27. John 18:26 says this, One of the high priest's slaves, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Now, this high priest slave was a relative of Malchus, who was also a slave or a servant of the high priest. And if you recall, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane Peter had cut his ear off. Jesus said, put your Peter, sword up, Peter. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. Then he healed Malchus's ear. John tells us his name. Now, this relative obviously would be interested in who had cut his relative's ear off, Malchus's ear off. He'd be interested in that. And... He asked the, So he asked the question, didn't I see you with him in the garden? He thinks he recognizes Peter, but he's not sure. Now, why might not he be sure? Because it was dark in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was lit. There was a moon that night, and they had resinous torches, and they had terracotta lamps. But still, it was nighttime. They didn't exactly have flashlights back then, so he wasn't really sure who Peter was. He probably also would find it hard to believe that Peter would show up right there on the doorsteps of Caiaphas. But he's suspicious, and so he asked him. Now, let me point out to you that in the parallel passages, it doesn't say a kinsman of those who ear Peter cut off. In Matthew, it says, they that stood by accused Peter. And in Mark, it said, they that stood by accused Peter. And in Luke, it says, another confidently affirmed. All right, well, let's just take Luke first, the one who's confidently affirmed. I saw... I saw that he was that this was he, that Peter was the man that was with Jesus. So apparently after he has Peter, if Peter was the one that was in the garden and Peter denied it, the man became more and more sure of himself and finally said, no, that's him. I know it was. Now, as far as Matthew and Mark, they that stood by the kinsman of Malchus is speaking for all the temple soldiers and the servant who are standing there. Matthew and Mark just don't mention the particular person in the crowd who spoke out. That's how you harmonize that. 
Now we go to verse 27. Peter then denied it again. Immediately a rooster crowed. Now this is the second crowing, as we learn from Mark. This is the second crowing. The second rooster crowed after the third denial. The first rooster crowed after the first denial. We only know about two crowings from the Mark account. This crowing was a fulfillment of the prophecy in John 13:38, which says this. Jesus replied, will you lay your life down for me? He's talking to Peter. I assure you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. That was in, at the Last Supper. Mark records it this way in Mark 14:72. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. So this is the second, the third denial, the second crowing. The time was about 3 o'clock in the morning, according to John Gill, and between 12 and 3 o'clock in the morning, according to Adam Clark, well, let's just say in the middle of the night, Friday morning. We now turn to Matthew's account of Peter's third denial. Matthew 26, verses 73 through 75, starting with verse 73. After a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, You certainly are one of them, since even your accent gives you away. Now, of course, the those there are the temple police and the servant, and the one who's speaking for them is the relative of Malchus, the relative and Malchus both being servants of the high priest. What accent are they referring to? Peter probably, he had a distinctive Galilean accent, which would be recognizable in Jerusalem and down in the south. Just like if I hear somebody say, park the car in the yard, I know he's from Boston. It's real easy. You can tell accents pretty quick. I live in China. I could tell a southern accent from a northern accent very easily. And Chinese is not my native language even. So the accents can give you away in a hurry. His accent was a dead giveaway. Peter must have been a follower of Jesus. So now he's really trapped. Notice notice his denial in verse 74. Then he started to curse and to swear with an oath. I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. He cursed and he swore and then he denied. So it's interesting. The first denial, he just made a simple denial to the servant girl at the door. The second denial to those standing around the fire he added an oath. I swear I don't know the man. Now the third time he's really worked up and he starts damning people. He starts starts cussing. Damn it, I don't know the man or something to that effect. I don't know how you curse back there in Aramaic, but but anyway, he's starting to he's starting to cuss at him. He's really mad. And then the rooster crowed. That's of course is the final the second crowing of the rooster after the third denial. Now we read Matthew 26:75, and Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken, quote, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he wept, and he went outside and wept bitterly. He, probably, he left the courtyard, went down the little porchway, the covered porchway, went to the gate outside and wept. Why? He didn't want people to see him crying inside. They would know immediately that he was one of Jesus' disciples. You notice that he wept bitterly. Two of the parallel passages mention that he wept bitterly. One of them just says he wept. John doesn't mention it at all, but John does mention Peter's rehabilitation. In John 21, verses 15 through 17, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said to Jesus, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus told Peter. A second time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said to Jesus, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, Jesus told Peter. Jesus asked Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that, that Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
Feed my sheep, Jesus said. So Peter was completely rehabilitated, completely forgiven for his horrible betrayal of the Lord. Judas betrayed Jesus and didn't repent. He ended up in hell. Peter betrayed the Lord, but he repented. He ended up in the Gospels. I mean, excuse me, in the New Testament as one of the leaders of the early Christian church. Now let's look at Peter's third denial through the eyes of Luke. We'll start with Luke chapter 22, verses 59, and go through verse 62, starting with 59. About an hour later, this is an, a late, an hour after the second denial, another kept insisting, and this another, of course, is uh, Malchus, the relative of Ma Malchus, the slave of the high priest. Malchus was a slave of the high priest, so was this relative of Malchus, and this is who this another was. This man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Now, one little detail we can pick up here, and it depends on the translation. It says another man kept insisting this man was certainly with him. Now, remember in John's account, uh, John's account of this, the kinsman of Malchus didn't sound as certain. He was saying, didn't I see you in the garden with him? He wasn't totally sure. But by the, t by the time that Luke picks up the story, he is confident. He's saying, look, the King James says he confidently affirmed, of a truth this man was with him, for he is a Galilean. That accent gave him away. I'm sure this was him, while Peter's denying it through his teeth. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. So after the cock crowed, we find in Luke a very, very touching detail here. This before I get to the touchy detail, note that this the accusations are getting worse and worse and worse. The first accusation, Peter just denied it simply. The second accusation, Peter denied it with an oath. The third accusation, Peter starts cussing. It's getting real serious now. And plus, it's not just servant girls that are coming after him. It's temple guardsmen, men that are coming after him, police who could arrest him. So Peter is getting more and more desperate. He's cussing out his assailants. And while he's doing this, this is what we read next. This is in verse 60 of Luke 22. I should say Luke, verse 61 of Luke 22. Here is this detail I was telling you about. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord. He had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So the other parallel accounts tell us the rooster crowing is what tipped what reminded Peter of his promise never to deny Jesus. But Luke tells us it's not only the rooster crowing, it's Jesus looking at him while the rooster's crowing. Oh my gosh, that must have been terrible. Now, P Jesus was probably be being carried out of the room where he was being interrogated. He was probably being walked across the courtyard, probably on the way to see Pontius Pilate at the next phase of his trail, the trial. He could not speak to Peter, of course, because that would give Peter away for sure. But he could look at him, and as Peter is cussing, cussing out the soldiers and saying, Damn it, I never knew the man. There's the Lord looking at him. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I can hardly stand to think about it. No wonder he was crying bitterly. Went outside and cried his guts out. All right, let's finish up this account by going to Mark chapter 14, verse 70. Verse 70 says... Again, he denied it. That's the second time. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, these are the soldiers, the temple police and the servants, uh, and, and amongst whom was the kinsman of Malchus. They, and those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them since you are a Galilean. By then, Peter's accent had given him away. They mentioned Galilean in and, and the parallel accounts. 
Then he, Peter, started to curse and to swear with an oath, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time. Remember, Mark is the one who gives us the two rooster crows. And Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him. By the way, all these different details, you know what that shows? Independent historical accounts. People saw the event and they remembered certain details. That always happens when you have testimony of of live events. People latch on to different details and record them. That shows that these Gospels were not put together in a contrived sort of way, in a conspiratorial way, in order to try to make somebody look good or make somebody look bad. In fact, Peter looked pretty bad, actually. This is history, folks. There's nobody, no frippin' liberal in the world that can tear down the historicity of these Gospels. The only way that you can tear down the historicity of the Gospels is you're going to have to deny that Napoleon existed or deny that Plato existed or deny that Socrates existed. In other words, you've got to be a complete horse's ass. This happened, and because it happened, if you really want to say you're objective and I want to follow the truth where it goes and follow the facts where they lead me, well then look at the facts here. This was incredible, incredible story what happened as Jesus is railroaded and yet gets up on the cross and says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing as he carries the sins of the world on his shoulders. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it for Peter's denial. All right, I'm returned from my splice of the discussion of Peter's denial in the Synoptic Gospels. And now we're going to go back and pick up verses 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24 in our passage here, which covers John 18, 12 through 27, which is the subject of this audio. Remember, there is a split of opinion as to whether this is before Annas is before Caiaphas. I take the position that it's before Caiaphas. We read in verses 19 through 21 the following. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Now, of course, high priest is ambiguous. Annas is a high priest and Caiaphas is a high priest, and that would have solved the controversy if John had spelled out his name, but he didn't. So I'm going to assume it was Caiaphas. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered him. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple complex where all the Jews congregate. And I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. Now, first of all, we'll notice the illegalities here. If this were a trial, it would not be legal. The NIV Study Bible points out. The witnesses were supposed to be brought in first to establish the guilt. Here, Jesus is assumed guilty, assumed to be guilty, and his questioner said, Prove yourself innocent. Well, it's just like our procedure today. You assume the defendant is innocent until he's proven guilty, and then you have to bring in the witnesses to show that the defendant is guilty. The NIV Study Bible, who takes the opposite position than me, says this is Annas, not Caiaphas, said that uh, 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 the high priest just considered it a preliminary investigation, not a trial. Well, maybe so, but still you need to follow procedures here. Here's a quote from the Talmud that says this from Adam Clark. Criminal processes can neither commence nor terminate but during the course of the day. It says another reason it was illegal. It, it was a criminal process and it happened in the middle of the night. Now what was, what was this questioning designed to do? It was designed to either prove Jesus guilty of blasphemy or sedition against the Roman Empire or maybe both. They're trying to trap him into making a statement they could use against him when they when they took him before the Sanhedrin when the sand came up when the sun came up. Now, why did Jesus keep talking about I openly taught in the synagogue? I haven't spoken anything in secret. I have spoken openly to the world. He is perhaps 
poking fun at Caiaphas about the lack of witnesses and the secrecy going on in this kangaroo court that he was experiencing. He said, I did everything in the open, but you, on the contrary, are doing everything in secret. What are you afraid of, Caiaphas? Why, why, why do you have to have a kangaroo court? Now, the NIV Study Bible says that when Jesus says he taught everything openly, Jesus is not denying that at some times he taught the disciples privately. Of course he did. But he didn't teach the disciples anything subversive privately. He denied that any teaching that he gave to his disciples was any different than his public message. Well, of course, of course, I don't, of course, it goes without saying he taught his disciples privately, but, but the point was he also taught openly, and everything he taught openly was perfectly innocent. Let's give a, let me give you a quote from Clark, Adam Clark. The answer of our Lord, mentioned in this and in the following verse, is such as became a person conscious of his own innocence and confident in the righteousness of his cause. I have taught in the temple, in the synagogues, in all the principal cities, towns, and villages, and through all the country. I have had no secret school. You and your emissaries have watched me everywhere. No doctrine has ever proceeded from my lips but what was agreeable to the righteousness of the law and the purity of God. My disciples, when they taught, have taught in the same way and had the same witnesses. Ask those who attended our public ministrations and hear whether they can prove that I or my disciples have preached any false doctrines, have ever troubled society, or disturbed the state. Attend to the ordinary course of justice. Call witnesses, let them make their depositions, and then proceed to judge according to the evidence brought before you. In other words, as Adam Clark points out, Jesus was entirely innocent and was saying so. Jesus was very confident, as John Gill points out, that any witnesses that the that Annas and Caiaphas and the uh, the Jewish accusers would bring in would vindicate him. He knew what they had heard, and the high priest probably knew it too. And the high priest probably also knew, as John Gill points out, that any witness that came in wouldn't even necessarily be Jesus' friends, but would be objective witnesses, just people who were standing around. Jesus had a strong case, and he was making it right here. Now let's look at this word world, where Jesus said, I have spoken openly to the world. And Adam Clark constantly makes the case that when John uses the word world in these passages here, in the Upper Room Discourse and the Discourse on the Road to Gethsemane and and here uh, during his trial, he uses the word world in the sense of the Jews, the Jewish world, if you will, that is opposed to him. The word is cosmos. The reason he says that is because Jesus preached to the Jewish people only. So when Jesus says here in verse 20, when he says, I have spoken openly to the world, who was he speaking to? He was speaking to the Jews. So there. For by deduction, you can say, therefore, the world, when Jesus uses that word world, he's referring to to the Jews. That argument is weakened a little bit, in my opinion, by the fact that every now and then Jesus did speak to Gentiles, like the Syrophoenician woman and the people in Decapolis. They were Gentiles. That's true. But mostly he spoke to Jews, and Jesus refers to them as the world. So that's not a bad, you know, that's not a bad argument. A lot of times the world can mean the whole, every group in the world, like God so loved the world, that whosoever believes in him, I believe that refers to the Jews, the Gentiles, the Phoenicians, the Mongolians, everybody. Verse 22. When he had said these things, one of the temple police standing by slapped Jesus, saying, Is this the way you answer the high priest? Now, this was also illegal. You don't slap a defendant in court. Now, the temple police didn't have to slap Jesus. He's uh, He's got his hands tied. He's a defendant. What's the point? Why'd he do it? Well, it could be he was trying to flatter the high priest, John Gill points out. 
uh, he might have been doing it to clear himself of any charge that he was a follower of Jesus. Remember, the followers of Jesus were everywhere. Even some of the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin believed in him. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that one of the temple police might have believed in him, and he might have been saying, well, I don't want to be accused of being allied with this guy, so wham, I'm going to slap him. At any rate, for whatever reason he did it, he did it. And Adam Clark says this, This was an outrage to all justice for a prisoner before, he's condemned, before he is condemned is ever considered to be under the especial protection of justice. Nor has anyone a right to touch him, but according to the direction of the law. Yeah, it was a kangaroo court. Verse 23. If I have spoken wrong, wrongly, Jesus answered him, the temple policeman that slapped him on the face. If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, give evidence about the wrong, but if rightly, why do you hit me? In other words, prove that I'm wrong before you go around slapping me, big boy. Prove that I'm wrong. Give me some evidence. Jesus knew there was no evidence. That's what I love about legal proceedings. A good legal proceeding always relies on evidence, what actually happened. And Jesus said, since you can't produce the evidence, then why are you hitting me? You've got no right to hit an innocent person. Now notice, Jesus got slapped on the cheek. Perhaps that reminds us of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, when you get slapped on the cheek, what do you do? You turn the other cheek. But look at here. Did Jesus turn the other cheek? He immediately went after the guy and says, what are you doing here? He defended himself. And that's because the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, when you're slapped on the cheek, turn the other cheek, he's talking about revenge. Nothing could be clearer than that. But people all the time misinterpret the Sermon on the Mount. It was not, he was not talking about self-defense or legal proceedings, which is another way of saying defending yourself. You have every right to defend yourself. Don't take Jesus' words and mis use them there because by his very example, he shows that it's perfectly all right to defend yourself when you have a chance to. Jesus is, is talking about evidence. He says, give evidence. The, the, the Gospel of John constantly talks about evidence. The NIV Study Bible says that John emphasizes the importance of testimony all throughout his Gospel. For example, in John 1, verse 7, he, Jesus, came as a witness to testify about the light. Notice the legal terminology there, so that all might believe through him. Notice that when Jesus is slapped, the high priest who watched the whole thing didn't say a word. Didn't say, sir, take your hands off the witness. He just sat there and watched it. He didn't care. On the other hand, Jesus answered calmly and rationally. Who's, who's coming out better here? The accusers or the accused? We go to verse 24. Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas the high priest. Now, this verse is the verse that she used to show that all that was proceeding took place in the house of Annas. And now we're going to switch to the house of Caiaphas to continue on. The problem is, in the previous verses, verses 15 through 18, and also 25, 26, and 27, we have an incident that clearly took place at Caiaphas's house. So if Jesus is leaving Annas' house here, why would John have mentioned the denial of Peter, which clearly happened at Caiaphas's house, according to the Synoptic Gospels? Well, Edersheim says that the, that the aorist here, Annas sent him bound, should be translated as it every now and then is, in the, in the pluperfect sense, Annas had sent him bound to Caiaphas the high priest. And in fact, the NIV margin backs up Edersheim on that because the margin says in the NIV, now Annas had sent him, still bound to Caiaphas the high priest. Now Annas had sent him, so... That is, that's either, uh, that's a different translation, and they give you that, that possibility right there in the margin. 
Let me read you from Edersheim's argument. According to our argument, St. John wrote, uh, John uh, 18.24, which is the verse here that says, Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas. That verse is an intercalated notice, referring to what had previously been recorded in verses 15 through 23. To this, a critical objection has been raised. It is argued that as it is in the aorist, not the pluperfect, the renderer must be Anna sent, Anna's sent him bound, not Anna's had sent him bound, but then it is admitted that the heiress is occasionally used for the pluperfect. John Gill agrees with this. He says that here, all through this passage that we've just been reading, the, ver- the high priest is Caiaphas, not Anaphas, that is being referred to. Now, some people take the view not that the heiress here sent should be had sent, which solves the problem. Some people say the verse is in the wrong place in the text. And somehow, in the, I guess it's a textual problem. The verse somehow got put in the wrong place, and it should be way up there after verse 13. So if it was after 13, let me go back and find 13, verse 13 and read that for you. Well, let me read 12 and 13. Then the company of soldiers, the commander of the Jewish temple police, arrested Jesus and, Jesus and tied him up. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Then if you put 24 right there, it will say, Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas. And then we go on with the story of Peter and Caiaphas' courtyard. That, of course, would make sense. I don't know what the state of the manuscripts are. I'm not a text. I don't understand all that textual stuff. And I haven't investigated this any further. I think Edishon's probably just got it right, though. John is just saying, now, hey, Annas had sent, had sent Jesus to Caiaphas earlier. And so now we are now finished with the story before Caiaphas. This makes more sense because he, Caiaphas was the more proper person to examine Jesus. He was the official high priest, not just the honorary high priest. And the Sanhedrin was sitting in Caiaphas's house, as Gil points out. Gil takes Edeshine's position, too. We are now finished with John 18, verses 12 through 27. We've got Peter, uh, Jesus tied up and arrested, taken to Annas' house, then taken to Caiaphas's house, where Peter denies in the courtyard there, denies Jesus three times. We're getting ready for our next audio, which will be Jesus appearing before Pilate the first time in John 18, 28 through 38. That it skips Jesus being condemned by Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, all of which is described in the Synoptic Gospels very thoroughly. John skips it completely, doesn't mention it, so we won't either. The trial of the Sanhedrin at dawn is skipped, so that the and also the uh, suicide of Judas is mentioned in the Synoptics, so that's skipped. And then Jesus ends up before Pilate, which we'll take up the next time. And I hope you stay tuned for that audio. I hope you enjoyed this one.